Hello and welcome to Surveyor Says, the podcast from the National Society of Professional Surveyors. Each week, we bring you fascinating guests that are involved in the profession of surveying. We cover a lot of ground, including table lay talk with Gary Kent, point of order with the NSPS Joint Government Affairs Team, future focus, highlighting current and future leaders of the profession, and everything survey-related in between. Thanks for joining us here on the podcast and hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of Surveyor Says. Hello and welcome to another episode of Surveyor Says. Uh, this one's going to be a little unique because across from me is Kurt. We're actually going to do something together rather than talking at each other for a time. Because our special guest today is John J.B. Bird, the federal lobbyist for NSPS. Uh, rather than talk about the issues and the, the other stuff that, that he does for us, he's going to talk about himself, which is going to kill him because he doesn't like talking about himself. So we'll see how it goes. J.B., how are you doing today? I'm, I'm doing, uh, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, Tim, this has been a, an honor and pr- privilege i'm at the end of the week right now and we've had a fun last couple days so i'm running on on reserves but that's my job and it's it's kind of you'll see a pattern about about this so this is this is this is good for me this is the toughest week of the year quite frankly sure and the good news is that you get buoyed uh at the end of the week because of all the good stuff that's going on we i've never been busier Good. Quite frankly, Tim. Good. Good. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's let's just let's just jump right into it. And that, who is John Bird? Where I mean, what, what what's your I mean, what's your current position? Sure. I mean, the company and your position and what what do you what do you do? Sure. Every day. Yeah. Well, Tim. Uh, number one, who am I? Uh, <laughs> so I I am a male. I'm 45 years old. <laughs> I, uh, I grew up in the Winchester, Virginia area, a small town called Berryville in the Shenandoah Valley, Virginia. And um, I grew up on an app orchard slash uh, working farm. And that's, that's how I got my start. Uh, so more of a rural upbringing. Uh, but I do remember my first summers working. I was uh, 13, 14 in an app orchard in Virginia humidity. And yep. that, that, I think, it gave me a little blue-collar angle. And then I did go to uh, undergrad, and I went to grad school, uh, got an MBA. Um, fast forward uh, to political experience and whatnot, how did I get my start, uh, which is where I am now. Um, I was doing the uh, math on this, so, um, you know, Tim and Kurt, please correct me if I'm wrong, but I graduated with an MBA uh, from Winthrop University in night in 2001 in May, and then I started you know looking for a position. I didn't know what I was looking for, and I ended up uh, on Capitol Hill. Roughly five months later, a month after 9/11, mm. going to work for a U.S. Senate office. Fortunately, I I was able to get my foot in the door, and I, I landed a position. Uh, that was my you know foot in the door experience. It was, again, a month after 9-11, and my third day working in the Senate office, in the front office especially, was the first day of anthrax. 
Oh, yes. I forgot about that. You and uh, so that was you know, very, very much an eye-opening experience, a little foreshadowing of what, what was to come later uh, as far as uh, access to capital that we have an issue now and buildings being shut down. So you got exposed to public policy working on the, you know, instead of knocking on the door to get in, I was already in, you know, on the other side of the door. And eventually I, I worked my way up to the point where I was in the scheduling department of the U.S. Senate office. That gave, gave me exposure to who the heck wanted to come in and meet with a senator in the first place. And how did they go about doing it? And so that was tremendous exposure for me down the road that I could then use and still use to today. Um, but who, I, who am I? Um, uh, what do I do now? Uh, so in 2004, I cycled off Capitol Hill. Um, I, I, uh, I got to work for a very small lobbying firm at that time based in Reston, Virginia, uh, John Pelletier and Associates. That's, that's who hired me to be a lobbyist. That was in, I start, got, my, got started working, I guess, in um, January of t 2005. So this is what my 16th year mm -hmm. or so lobbying. But really, uh, by October of this year will be my 20th year of being engaged in public policy, advocacy, or just in nice. general being a part of the Hill, Hill experience. Exactly. Okay. Good. Um, my current position is um, vice president at Miller Wenhold Capital Strategies, based in Fairfax, Virginia. And um, John Pelletiello's firm, uh, roughly two years ago, started a, a acquisition merging with Miller Wenhold Capital Strategies. And that basically uh, was finalized earlier this year, I believe January, mm -hmm. early February. And so now, instead of having two firms in a merge, we are now a consolidated Miller Wenhold Capital Strategies. And I'm the vice president there. Nice. Uh, we have numerous clients uh, that I do av advocate and, and lobby mm -hmm. for, but uh, I believe we've been representing NSPS since 2012. Exactly. So the better part of a decade now. Yeah. Well, and we're not so naive to know that you, you do have other clients. That, that I guess that's been the nice thing, and that's one thing I want to compliment you on, is that you make us feel like we're your only client. That's exactly what I was going to say. Oh, you you'd never yes. know it from from our perspective that you worked for anybody else, just yep. because of the availability, um, the the uh, capability, and getting things done for us timely, and and it just seems to us like you know we're we're your only client, although we know you're not. And I know one of the things I'm curious about, and, and part of it comes from my own background. Um, you guys know, and I probably most of our listeners know, my father was a minister. And so when I was growing up, I'm thinking, well, I'm probably not going to be that, you know, because I've seen how that works and what, what you deal with and all those kind of things. And, and then later in life, I, I didn't become a minister, but, but I became an evangelist for surveying. <laughs> so I'm just curious with you. I know your family background has, is steeped well, and you may want to talk about that a little bit in, in the whole political arena. And I don't, did that ever weigh on your mind as you were going through school or anything like that, or just was an epiphany all at once? I, I do. Thanks, Kurt. That does take me down memory lane. Mm -hmm. uh, now that I think about it. So I, um, yes, I, I won't get into the entire background, but um, I will say I do remember growing up 
uh, when I was in the single digits age-wise. I do remember my grandfather coming over for family meals at that time. He was a U.S. Senator before he he uh, uh, announced his uh, retirement in the U.S. Senate representing Virginia. And um, he would come over for dinner. We'd hear the latest about what happened earlier that, in some cases, that day or that month or whatever it was focused on. And, you know, we obviously looked up to him and we were kind of, uh, we treated him just like any other member of the family, quite frankly, but he had some really good stories. And that was, I mean, that really opened my eyes up. Yeah. I started listening more. Right. And, and, you know, when, you, when you're around your grandparents, especially your grandmother, but then you start listening more to your, your grandfathers and, and whatnot, uh, you, you just try to, at that point, you, you're very impressionable and you, you're a little bit more open to hearing it. And you can tell, you know, theoretically, the kids know exactly who's fibbing and who's not. Sure. Mm-hmm. Of course, um, and, and so you, that, that really was a, a really good impression for me. Uh, I was just treated like any other member of the family. I had uh, three siblings, still do, uh, fortunately, and uh, we were always kind of fighting for attention. But especially when grandfather came over, uh, everyone just kind of quieted a little bit. Sure. And it was more of a, a learning experience. Well, I guess based upon that, um, and knowing that, you know, here's your, here's your grandfather, who's obviously a, a, a very prominent uh, political figure, but yet you know him as just a grandfather. Um, does that help you give, give you a different perspective when you're dealing with some of the legislators to know that you know what, they are just regular people in some instance? I mean, in most instances, I mean, they, they do have feelings. Yes, I, I, the short answer is, in general, that should be the case. For me, it's whether I'm actually by myself with them or if I have a client with me that I'm trying to you know, also represent. So when it's one-on-one, um, that comes a little bit more easily for me. But when I have another perspective in the room, I've got to weigh a couple other factors, and that actually gives me a couple more butterflies. That's where I'm a little bit more nervous, if you can believe that. I don't, but that's okay. <laughs> and and because it's not just me trying to connect with someone, it's me to connect with multiple at once. So mm-hmm. it just takes a little juggling. So that's but one on one, I feel pretty comfort, pretty comfortable. The smaller the group setting, the bet more more at home I feel. So let's. I mean, so let's, I want to talk a little bit more about those political relationships and. The importance of have, you know, whether it's a corporation, whether it's an association, why is it so important from your perspective to have those political relationships? I mean, yes, we we vote vote these uh, legislators in. What what makes it special that we need to be in front of them? Well, from a surveying perspective, um, you look at at the role of lobbying and what the Constitution allows. And who's at the table versus who's on the menu? The, the risk is if you're not engaged in, in public policy and you're engaged in a profession and the profession is not represented, well, who's going to represent you? Who's going to speak for you? No one will in a, in a nice way. Um, they're going to maybe potentially pick you apart or, or find a way to improve their uh their background and at, at the expense of yours, quite frankly. So I think that's one of the, the major things that we try to focus on is that um, we always um, hark back to the fact that 
Politics is not a one-off situation. You're not just showing up to vote. Um, it is a relationship with whoever you're voting for or want to engage in any which way. And so, you know, we're just you know, com concluded the uh, virtual day on the Hill from the last two days for the NSPS version in 2021. And there were a lot of folks who, who signed up for the first time. And what we try to coach them is that congratulations for stepping up to representing the profession, to representing yourself and, and making yourself look good, making the profession looking good. This is just a start. This is chapter one. Right. And with it, we want this to be a long story, a long book, a long relationship, if you have anything to do with it. And so they do. This is the first chapter. And the more, the more chapters you can add to that relationship, the better off you are, the better off the profession is. And from a politician's point of view, they want to get something out of it too. And theoretically, there should be a good, mutually beneficial opportunity there for not just the constituent, but for the office holder. Sure. Okay. You know, we, we had a, a conversation, the organization and you, but you, John, and I at one point had yeah. a conversation about our strategies this year and on how we were going to approach it differently than we have in the past. And now that we've gone through that exercise, do you have any thoughts about it was great, successful, it didn't work so well, should we do it again? And you might even talk a little bit for the audience about what that strategy is. Yes, yeah, so uh, so there are two primary uh, committees in NSPS that I interact with uh, more frequently than others. The first is the Government Affairs Committee, and the second is the Political Action Committee. And quite frankly, there's a lot of overlap, not perfect overlap, but there's enough and um, so what we try to do, Kurt, as you alluded to at the start of every year, we, we try to get uh, Pat Smith's Government Affairs Committee organized. And we, you know, the four of us, there's John Pelletiello, who has been my longtime boss and is the Government Affairs Consultant for NSPS. Uh, I'm there. Uh, Kurt, you're obviously there, and then Pat's there. And we basically take a look at what happened the previous year good and bad, and then, but primarily, what's the role of the Government Affairs Committee in developing policy? What does Congress look like? And when we, when we decide for the NSPS deal on the Hill, or longer term, what are some of the other issues that we're gonna need to be aware of and either be proactive or reactive to, we develop a pretty long list. And then uh, we whittle it down a little bit and then prioritize really what are the priorities and what should we spend most of our resources, primarily time, staff time to, to pursuing. Um, so it's a, it's a long process, uh, but we think the benefits um, are done so that you know in the short term, we can go up and educate members of Congress. But remember, Congress is a two year cycle. Mm -hmm. So every year we wanna refresh that, and we usually again do it in January, we're now in, mid to late April, and, um, and you know, boom, a, th a third of the uh, the year is already behind us, so to speak, but there's plenty more to do um, as Congress picks up. Do you think that the, the strategy I was kind of talking about before, do you think that our strategy this year where we, we had our participants talk to the legislators or their staffs 
more about who we are and what we do and why things are important to us. And typically we don't do that. You know, we, we try to get people to talk about the issues and sometimes we understand them and sometimes we don't. So I was just curious if you thought that worked or if it even manifested itself. Uh, yes, Kurt, in, in context, this is really what happened. The decision that was made not to take multiple issues to Capitol Hill, but to focus on one. And what that does as far as bandwidth is to get into that one issue way more actively, way more encompassing and messaging. It made it a little simpler, but it also made it education-wise for the members. It was a little bit more simplified so that you know, if you're starting off or if you're a veteran of doing these Hill Days, it was, we thought, a, a better way to translate what the ask is. Mm-hmm. And in, in, in order to get to the ask, you got to do the background and the build-up. And that's where we thought that that was the best way to leverage the profession and everyone's different perspective about what the profession means to them and how it would translate to the respective House and Senate offices. And we thought going with a more simplistic approach because of the virtual nature, um, we didn't know what, exactly what we we're going to be getting in when we, we started the virtual angle, and we we're still receiving um, good and bad, positive, negative feedback about that. But yeah, the goal was um, get our members engaged in a completely different way. Mm-hmm. But let's walk before we run, and that's what we you know we consolidated down to one issue, but made it very. Um, uh, concentrated but in a helpful way we thought Um, for instance instead of having three different or four different issue papers we just had one but that one issue paper was three pages long Mm -hmm. and so the way we scoped it out was the first roughly two pages was what does society take for granted Exactly. that should be attributed and can be attributed back to the profession and then the last page was split into two items of the three-page issue paper. The last page had, all right, what is the flavor of the day in Congress? And then the, that was to put it in perspective. So if you're a congressional staffer or a member of Congress, you could say, I'm interested in that, or I'm interested in all of these. But the point was that there was a target for something that made sense based on this year of the first year of the two-year Congress. And the final part of the issue paper was, what is the ask and what's the flexibility to add a legislative provision? And so um, that gave our members, I think, some flexi- flexibility, but I, we thought it actually gave the members of Congress and their staff even more flexibility. Mm-hmm. So as our members made the ask, you know, um, uh, Leader Schumer, Senator Schumer, will you sponsor the NSPS provision in the Senate infrastructure bill? Right. Um, uh, uh, Congressman uh, Clyburn, as you're putting together your rural broadband infrastructure deployment bill, will you sponsor the NSPS provision in your rural broadband development infrastructure bill? I mean, so the buildup to that was a lot, but the ask was very simple. Right, exactly. I like the approach myself, I'll be honest with you, because, um, and I think Kurt will chime in on here too, is that Surveyors by nature, we have stories, we're storytellers. And so to be able to relate, like you just said, that first two pages is really that relationship that every one of those legislators and their staffs can understand. And then it does go into basically an ask of, this is how it applies to what 
your particular legislator is is involved with. So I thought it was a great approach. So I, 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 I kudos to the group for putting that together in that that form. So I guess that gets me to my next question on, on lobbying itself. And there's a lot of, I guess there's a lot of stigma behind lobbying, that it's that it's greasing palms and it's you know doing you know quid pro quo and all these other things. Tell tell us in your terms. I mean, what is lo- I mean, what is lobbying? Really, what it comes down to. Um, so my undergraduate degree, Tim, was in history, mm-hmm. and my graduate degree was in business. And I I saw common threads, and that was what were the historic trends connected to policy that impacted the business community and impacted the economy. In other words, what are the policies coming out of Washington, D.C. That, that impacts the marketplace, whether it's through legislation or if it's in an agency, what's the regulation? So lobbying, uh, kind of a quick way to think about it, I think it has everything to do with doing your homework. Um, what is the issue? What's, what's either side of an issue? Um, for me, with a history background, it required me to actually do research uh, on any of the policies. What is our position? What is the opposition position? And then there's a combination, I think it's a, it's a combination of sales and also a combination of educating. And for me, if I'm starting from scratch with someone, I always say that I'm an interpreter. I represent a client in this case, NSPS, mm-hmm. they know exactly what they want. What's their target? Their target is Congress. Am I a middleman or someone who is kind of connecting the dots uh, through uh, communications, uh, translation? Well, that's kind of an interpretation uh, mm-hmm. opportunity. So I'm an interpreter. I, I understand what the client wants. My job is then to effectively communicate it to a member of Congress. A lot of that has to mean educating myself, spending time with NSPS members and certainly leadership, understanding the policy, and then through a sales angle, finding out how to micro-target that message to every kind of office on Capitol Hill. Right. Whether they're on the far left, the far right, or somewhere in between, you've got to micro-target the message based on the, the state, the Commonwealth, or if it's a congressional district, what makes the most sense to that congressional district. So there's a lot of research. There's a lot of educating yourself before you try to go over to the Hill and educate a member of Congress on why should they even give this the light of day, let alone do something about our ask. Right. So that's, that. in short of it, uh, my job is to be your voice, the client's voice, uh, there are all sorts of ways to do it. Uh, nowadays, it's mostly virtual. But when I got my start uh, 16 years ago, it was literally shoe polish going up to the hill. The, the, the word lobbying came from, uh, I, I think it was probably first disclosed in the movies through the movie Lincoln, uh, where the, the word lobbying was literally people pigeonholed, pigeonholing uh, either the president at that time, President Lincoln, or members of the Senate and Congress, they were literally pigeonholed in lobbies outside their offices, sure. mm-hmm. and they couldn't escape. They literally would lobby them. <laughs> they would they would educate them. They would have a certain view that they were being hired to uh, represent, and they would lobby them in a lobby. 
the most recent example of this coming up, I think, was uh, one of the FCC commissioners, the Federal Communication Commissioners, I had a chance to, this is about a year ago when we still could do this in person on Capitol Hill. He was coming out of a briefing room on the House side in the Rayburn. If anyone's ever been in the Rayburn House office building, it's a pretty decent building. Um, and some of the wings kind of connect all at once. And if you get a choke point, a pinch point, in one of those walking areas, you can literally pigeonhole someone in right along <laughs> an elevator or, or a stairwell, and they have nowhere to go. Right. And so I was able to do that. We got a picture with uh, Commissioner Carr, one of the current FCC commissioners who has a very important role to play in the uh, Legato GPS interference issue. Sure. So uh, uh, you, can, you can have all sorts of interpretations. That's up to everyone's view. I'm just trying to give you a, a context for how the name came about. But modern day um, lobbying, it can be done by the individual surveyor through the actual political mm -hmm. process. It doesn't have to be someone who's a hired lobbyist. It can be you know, a constituent, an expert in your field that simply wants to educate and perhaps um, sell someone on the right way to do something that they think they're, they're near. The status quo either doesn't work or it could work better. Yeah, and you want right. to lobby someone to either improve the status quo, maybe blow it up. But in general, change the status quo. That's what you're trying to do. And you've got to have an ask. You've got to be able to, to communicate that effectively. And you have to rely on the client to really get you up to speed on the issues specifically. Sure. So it's important to know the dance, right? <laughs> and what kind of music's being played. Yeah, exactly. Well, and I want to take a little bit of a step back. Um, talking about, you know, you talked about your start on the Hill. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's what people get completely blown away the first time they actually we were on the hill and lobbying how young the staffers are how young that the the gatekeepers of getting into a lot of these legislators are and that's I mean it's a great thing it really is but um, I think that's what that really shocks people how how young it is to get in there uh, yeah good point Tim when I got my start I was in my mid to late 20s and I felt old Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, so uh, you're right I think there is a the, the important thing is that these folks aren't just showing up just to show up I mean, regardless of the age anyone who works on, the, on Capitol Hill whether they're an elected member of Congress or they're a key staff or just a staffer getting started they have other intentions than just showing up for the job mm -hmm. they are driven and they have policy in mind and they literally, um, whether they're the brightest or they're not so brightest, they have drive. Mm -hmm. And if you can make the connection with these folks and develop a relationship, um, that's something that can be incredibly helpful to the profession. And regardless of the opportunity, if you do not meet with a member of Congress, the staff around Capitol Hill literally run Congress. Mm -hmm. you, you, everyone knows that members of Congress, they do take recesses. They go back to their districts. Guess who doesn't? Mm -hmm. The staff. The staff stay around and represent those offices and run Capitol Hill. And uh, whether they're in their 50s, 40s, 30s, or 20s, or if they're interns, or even the pages that get their start as probably teenagers or whatever ages those are, um, there is a they, there's, there's definitely a matriculation in age. But do not be... Um, confused or misinformed or let down in any way. If you Absolutely. develop a relationship with these folks, 
they literally run Capitol Hill. That's amazing. So the trick is that at uh, your age or younger to be a peer, and if you're my age, you act grandfatherly, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'd say that um, one of the cool things is that for every, there, and the, the downside to the age in the staffers is that there's high level of turnover. Mm -hmm. uh, whether they want to go back to school, maybe pursue a grad degree, or they just um, want to do something else for whatever reason. So I look at it, you know, it does come down to numbers and quality. So there is a, you know, if it, through the sales angle, if you go and visit 10 offices in three years, there may be three or four of those original 10 offices that have the same staff. Mm -hmm. And after 10 years, maybe it's just one of those offices. Sure. But that's one 10-year relationship you have. And if you have 10 of those 10 out there, that means you've got 10 good contacts on Capitol Hill after a decade. And I've been at this now for 16 years. And you'd like to think that that is a good trail of folks that can be helpful. Uh, we go back to the earlier comment about um, we do have other clients. The good way to look at that, uh, it, I'm really, it's really happy to hear that y'all have that view of as far as being, feeling like you're our number one client. I will say this, what y'all get as well is that our clients who are other clients, we have relationships with those staffers and we can then tap those resources as well to the benefit of NSPS. Sure. Exactly. So, uh, you know, it's, there's... Uh, there, there are a lot of different avenues that we can leverage our relationships on Capitol Hill, but they start with typically the young staffers that <laughs> folks pass by every day. I've always been curious because oftentimes a lot of the people you go, you meet when you go in the office are the younger people. And sometimes you have a chance to talk to them a little bit. And you find that, at least in my experience, a good number of them actually come from the state where the legislator comes from. I'm just curious as, as the those staffers mature and maybe start to move around a bit is do they still kind of stick to their own state or they just go where the opportunities are or how does that work uh they're a uh, great question kurt uh, the more i think about that i'd say that there's really there's no pattern um, i think it just comes down to the individual um, some are, are very career driven some are very state driven uh, some have a good mixture and have, have the best of both worlds. They get to work for a member of Congress from your home state, and it's perfect policy connection for them. But, uh, again, there's a high level of turnover for a reason, for many reasons, but one of which is just folks want to you know, progress differently in their career or change careers or uh, find a different uh, rationale for uh, their career, and they decide to switch for whatever reason. But, yeah, if you can, if you can uh, after knocking on so many doors... Again, if you go with 10 offices, after 10 years, just one of those staffers is left, and they're in the same state representing the same office. Number one, most likely their boss, the member of Congress or senator, is going to be in an elevated position to help you mm -hmm. lobbying-wise, but they're going to have 10 years of a track record. Hopefully, if you're still on their good side, that's a good thing, and um, you can leverage that relationship, and they can continue to leverage you as a resource. Nice. Yeah, one of the things I've noticed too is, and I've always been curious about this, oftentimes when you're talking to the staffers, um, they seem to have some level of understanding of your issue or 
what you do for a living or all those kind of things. And, and obviously they do some kind of research to make that happen. But still, it makes you feel comfortable that they've taken the time to try to understand yeah. who you are and what you're talking about. Yeah, and, and, I, and I think it cuts, cuts both ways. Kurt. you gotta, you got to take an interest in these folks. I mean, they're going to take an interest in you. On the other hand, um, I will say this. I noticed in, the, in 16 years, I think where I saw a change was probably uh, somewhere around eight, uh, year seven or eight of lobbying. Um, after hustling for so long, and then again, as you start to see uh, maybe one out of 10 staffers stick around after a decade, guess what starts to happen? You stop going to them. They start coming to you. Mm-hmm. And so there's a buildup. It doesn't happen to every office, of course, but after, but those, that's where the relationships, I'm, it's probably, no, again, I, I don't know the profession as well as the, the practitioners and professionals, but I would imagine it's, it, it could be very similar as far as clientele, right? Yeah. You pursue clients, and then after a while, you stop pursuing them. They keep coming back yes. to you. Oh, exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. One thing that's very important in the surveying realm, we really keep going back to, is talking about mentors and how we're trying to progress the profession and such. What has mentoring been for you? I mean, obviously you didn't just jump into the Capitol and you just just decided to wing it all the way through, and maybe you have, but uh, have you had some good mentors along the way? People you've, sure. you've looked at want to emulate and has helped, have helped you along the way? Well, it's maybe a shocking start to the conversation, but I learned how to answer this question back in high school. My mother and my father. Okay, yes. so so my father is the apple grower, and I remember during the harvest season, he may get two or three hours of sleep. One year, I think he got double um, double pneumonia or double bronchitis, and, um, and and that was the only thing that kept him in the house uh, during the peak of the harvest season. But for gosh, at least twenty years, he was doing that. It was, that showed hard work. That showed. Um, doing, you know, putting it all on the line for the family. Uh, my mom was a little different, um, but she had other responsibilities. And quite frankly, the most recent member of the family in politics was my mom. She literally served 20 years on the uh, local board of supervisors in the county. And she, you'll love this. I mean, her first run for office was against an incumbent. She lost by seven votes. And she decided not to seek a recount. And then that goodwill of not actually challenging the results of the election that close, um, the, the seat opened up uh, four years later, uh, open seat. She, she ran it walking away. Um, and then she held the seat for another roughly 16 years after that first term. And then she retired recently. So um, those, are, those are the two mentors uh, from the start. And then, uh, you know, obviously professionally, a lot of other folks I've looked up to. Um, uh, you know, I got my uh, start on Capitol Hill largely from my grandfather uh, helping open the door for me, so I'll always be uh, in debt for that. Um, getting That's how I got my start. Um, the, the original uh, chief of staff of the Senate office is now running a major uh, trade association downtown, uh, so I'll always be helpful or thankful for that uh, as far as lobbying itself though of course you know you can't go anywhere without mentioning John Pelletiello exactly. uh, who Good. hired me in 
in uh, late 2004 to start in 2005. I do remember, though, my first big coalition meeting on Capitol Hill was with, it was run by a, a, um, a, co a coalition run by V. Paul Miller of Miller Wendell Capital Strategies. So I've basically, as long as I've known John, maybe a month later I got to know Paul. And so um, eventually, 14 or 15 years later, their firms merged, yeah. and it's, it's a good connection there. Kurt, I'm trying to remember the last, the first time we actually met. I think it was before we came on board in 2012. I'm thinking cough pace. So right. we probably yeah. got to know each other uh, late 2005 or 2006, maybe back yeah. then. Could have been easy, um, yeah. So I was aware of Kurt. I saw Kurt, maybe not as frequently, but you know, Kurt's been around the block and knows how Capitol Hill works. Yep. So I definitely reference uh, Kurt. Uh, now, fast forward to 2012 when we, when we first started, um, you know, representing uh, NSPS. Um, a couple names come to bat. Um, uh, you know, John Warren, Pat Beeler, um, Jim Cohn. A, a lot of folks from not from the East Coast, and then a lot of folks from the Midwest. A lot of folks from the East Coast and everywhere in between. Quite frankly, I, there's probably obviously too too many to name at this point. Uh, the, the closest relationships I have outside of the leadership here at NSPS as part of leadership is Pat Smith and John Warren. That's, that's who I spend the most time sure. uh, communicating with. So within NSPS, uh, that's where I have um, you know, um, just an ongoing relationship because there's been a lot of stability with those two committees, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that's been incredibly helpful. They're, they work separately, but it's, it's a team approach. Exactly. So that's, I think one of the things that you can translate between working on Capitol Hill, working in an office versus lobbying, is these are not one person operations. It does require a team, it requires coordination. And um, I've been very fortunate over the last 16 years to have uh, great mentoring from John Pelletiello to Paul Miller to Kurt and the entire um, Quite, fr quite frankly, leadership of the profession that's kind of taken me in under the wings over the last um, nine years. Yeah, well, it's fit very nicely. So uh, uh, we'll wrap this up by asking, because I, I know I've got a couple of thoughts here, but what's your, you give a favorite political moment that just stands out. Anything stands out? Because actually there's been three different things that's happened with NSPS and in your interaction that stand out to me, but I'm just curious what your thoughts are. Uh, well, I mean, I, you know, Tim, I don't think we're on the same page on this. <laughs> <laughs> I can't read your mind. Um, so I'll just, I'll just I, I haven't given this too much thought. My, what, my, what I'm thinking is whenever you get a bill enacted into law, that, that is a, that's a significant accomplishment. And we were able to get a couple of those, um, two bills specifically enacted in law that are, are just purely NSPS bills. One was the Digital Coast Act that authorizes the NOAA project into a codified program. And then um, the National Landslide Preparedness Act um, that um, authorizes two big opportunities mm -hmm. for the surveying profession. One is which is the uh, author codification, authorization of the 3D elevation program. And then something kind of relatively brand new that's a big deal for the profession, and that's the subsidence issue. Yes. And yes. authorizing USGS to create a program and follow through with it. 
Um, so that those kind of things stick out. I will say this today, and and uh, for whatever reason, I've been talking way too much today. I did something I've never done before earlier today. It was kind of cool. Um, we launched a congressional caucus, NSBS did, virtually, and with two members of Congress, two in a bipartisan manner, different sides of the aisle, two different parts of the country, bringing the country together on the creation of what we call the Construction Procurement Caucus. And given where the country is today with infrastructure debate, how much money is yes. at stake, and how to best le uh, uh, leverage the expertise of the profession, there's probably no better time for this kind of caucus to launch. So, that, and it's just literally fresh. It was like a few hours ago that we did That's this. Awesome. Um, That's awesome. I, I'm sure there's a third one, but again, I'm probably missing something. Blatantly. Oh no! See, no. That's what I like about it. You're thinking of the wins. You're thinking of the good, positive stuff. I'm thinking of the <laughs> gyrocopter guy that landed in the <laughs> next to the Capitol that cleared everybody out. Uh, we had one lobby day, we had the Metro go down to where nobody could get anywhere. Except for Ed O'Brien, who walked many times across the bridge yep. from the hotel in Alexandria, Arlington to Capitol Hill. Yep. Uh, I think many times he did that on that one trip. Uh, here's one, uh, speaking of the, uh, the there's there's no, there's nothing so on Capitol Hill when there's a committee hearing, the majority party um, takes much pride in scripting. Everything on Capitol happens for a reason, mm -hmm. and it's scripted out most of the time, ninety nine percent of the time. The one time you can't plan for something is when technology uh, hits and, and something snags. And this is probably about five years ago when the unmanned aerial system issue was being built up for the last FAA reauthorization bill, and every committee on the House side wanted a piece of the action, especially committees that don't typically have anything to do with the jurisdiction over the issue. They just like the technology want to be cool. So I think, I'm trying to think it was a, sp a science, space, and technology committee did a hearing. They brought in a witness who was in charge of flying an unmanned aerial system. And wouldn't you know it, they brought the system into the into the actual committee hearing room. And, and for those who may not be familiar, these most of these rooms are very small. Mm -hmm. And there's very little wiggle room to elbow space. And wouldn't you know it, as soon as the UAS got up and, and flying inside the, the, the committee room, it crashed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I, didn't, I haven't heard that story yet. It awesome. crashed, and literally it, 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 it took everyone by surprise. No one was hurt, fortunately. Fortunately. Uh, but, truth be told, it, it painted uh, a picture for what, what a lot of discussions of, of what was to come as far as safety, privacy, who should be... An acceptable, right. um, uh, you know, operator of these, and what's the role of government in regulating? What's the role of uh, the market in, in commercial opportunities to move forward? And uh, anyway, it allowed the members of Congress to see firsthand mm -hmm. what can go right. So you're saying what maybe, can go wrong? You're saying maybe it wasn't an accident. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it was scripted. Yes. So it could, it could have been. There, there are some other stories, but uh, now that I understand the context, oh, I, yeah. I, I could have no, no, gone. No. I could have gone a different way. No, no, some no. Other examples. Well, there again, that I guess that that speaks to the professional side and how much we appreciate what you represent 
for NSPS because that's immediately what you gravitated to was the wins. You know, and here I am thinking of the, the funny stuff. I mean, the, the third thing I was thinking about was uh, the one, one year we were there, congressional, congressional meeting, Mark Zuckerberg was there. So all of the journalism people were there, and it was a zoo, just an absolute zoo. That actually was a success story for NSPS. Um, and the rationale was uh, during that exact hearing, I think it was 2018 maybe, 2017 yes, yes. or 2018, um, the, the great folks in Oregon, PLSO, um, they had the opportunity to go and meet with the chairman of the full committee, the Energy and Commerce Committee. Nice. Uh, Mr. Walden, when he was still in Congress, he, he chaired the committee, and he was responsible for bringing in uh, Mr. Zuckerberg and, and doing that big, big, big hearing. It just so happened that PLSO and NSBS did a joint meeting with Mr. Walden literally on the other side of the wall from the committee hearing room. And so the chairman would come out of the committee from talking with Facebook and yep. all these other you know, high-tech uh, social media folks and then learn about the surveying profession, about the role of technology, what was our mm -hmm. ask. And that meeting was really cool because um, I think uh, it was Bob Needhammer and Daryl Fuller had arranged a special kind of it was like a large group, maybe seven or eight NSPS members and, and associated uh, friends coming in, and it made it quite an impression. But we kept on being pushed off by 15 or 30 minutes, but then you know, the chairman showed up. Oh, it was worth it. We were giving, he made us feel like we were the only ones in the room. Nice. Even though he had to, yeah. uh, had other uh, fish to fry in the other room, so to speak. Well, that's fantastic. Well, we appreciate you spending some time with us, uh, just so everybody else, so you know when you're listening to this, we just finished up a, an executive committee meeting, which JB anchored and came in and told us about some of the great stuff that's happened with the uh, Lobby Day efforts, virtual Lobby Day efforts this year. So we appreciate all the time you've spent with us uh, this afternoon, and uh, we look forward to a few more wins that uh, you keep chasing down for us, which will be really, really great. So. I, I love the new technologies we have where we can do this no matter where we are, but nothing's ever as good as face-to-face -face like this. Yes. It, it's, this is just the best way to do it. <laughs> it's a shame we can't do them all that way, but I know we can. And, and that's a, a great way to segue off, I guess, because it's the same thing with politics. I mean, it's one thing to, to meet with someone online, but, you know, handshake, business card, eye-to-eye, -eye, communication, body language. Body language everything. And that's, that's why, you know, uh, you guys have done this and a lot of other uh, leadership and, and, and NSPS have done this, but the folks that have really put in the time and, and looked out for the profession have done this for years and years and years. And Tim, you're, you're always up there. I always hark back to, this is probably a great segue off. Um, whenever we do a highlight list of what NSPS has accomplished, we always go back, especially recently, to the 2018 Farm Bill. Sure. We were able to get Brent Berth uh, pointed to the FCC USDA um, uh, Advisory Commission uh, Task Force on 5G on rural connectivity issues solely because one member of the NSPS leadership uh, decided to go to a town hall meeting in Illinois one year and educate the chairman of the Committee uh, of Jurisdiction, the House Agriculture Committee, and 
uh, five or six other members of Congress who happened to be at that town hall meeting. Who the heck am I talking about? <laughs> None other than Timothy Birch. So, Tim, thank you for your leadership and oh, getting that you. ball rolling. It, it actually, you know, that was probably in 2016 that you did that meeting and the bill came out in 2018. So mm -hmm. it did take a little while, but yes. you laid out the red carpet wow. for Congress to act. So that's exactly what we're hoping other uh, uh, NSPS members do. Uh, keep opening doors up for others that follow. It's about working together. That's uh, it's yep. all. It's what, what it's all about. So, once again, JB, thank you for your time today. That uh, this has been a, a it's been a fun talk to, to get in. Not yeah, talking nuts and bolts on some things. But you know what? There's just like I said, there's still such a for some parts of the public, there's still a stigma on what lobbying is about. And uh, I can't think of a. a better person to be out in front of it front of surveying for us on our behalf than, than you and, and John and, and your staff that you guys Absolutely. have done a great job so well that'll do it for us here on this episode we've got a couple of, we've got a couple of great guests coming in the next few weeks so uh, stick around uh, if you haven't subscribed yet please do and we'll be talking to you soon thank you You've been listening to the Surveyor Says Podcast, brought to you by the National Society of Professional Surveyors. If you have any questions about today's episode or any other topic, please email us at info at nsps.us.com, and we are here to help. Visit our website, nsps.us.com, to learn more about our association, the programs we administer and support, our sustaining members, and information about future episodes of Surveyor Says. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, as well as our podcast host, Podbean. And remember, it's a great day to be a surveyor. <laughs>